Today's Your Stories is brought to you by Jackbox Games. Get five hilarious party games in the Jackbox Party Pack from the creators of You Don't Know Jack. Now on Xbox One, PS3, PS4, Steam, and more. Go to jackboxgames.com for more info. Thanks, Jackbox. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hey everyone, I'm Eric Garneau, and this is part two of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast featuring the theme Friendship, appropriately chosen by our special guests for the night, Jen and Trin from the Friendshipping podcast. In case you missed last week's show, which you can still go listen to because that's how podcasts work, um, Jen and Trin are in the midst of a Kickstarter campaign for a wonderful thing they've made called Friendship Postcards, and we really, really love it. Uh, We're going to post a link to that Kickstarter on this episode page, so please check that out. Uh, On this week's episode, you'll hear stories from Trin herself, plus Claire Friedman, Jamie Sanchez, and Mike Gifford, and there's more music from Dwight and Claire. Uh, What a grand time. Again, I missed this recording, but man, it was really fun to listen to, and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Our next Live Your Stories is this Sunday, October 16th, at the Sum Office Theater, 1917 North Elston in Chicago, at 7 p.m., As usual, the show is free to attend, and we'll be telling a bunch of seasonally appropriate horror stories. Uh, If you've got a spooky story, uh, either truth or fiction, you'd like to share with us, we have a few story spots left uh, on this one, so you can email yourstories at nerdalogs.com to request a spot. We'd love to hear from you. We also have a handful of really big, really cool shows coming up in November and December that we'll be announcing soon. So please stay tuned to our website and Facebook page for those. Um, Before we get to the show, let me again thank our sponsors for this week, Jackbox Games. And I'd also like to thank the Chicago Podcast Co-op that lets that sponsorship happen. We love you, Chicago Podcast Co-op. Now, if you, the listener, would like to help us out, just like the CPC, you don't have to pay us. Uh, You can rate and review us on iTunes. And also check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash nerdalogs. That last one does actually require uh, some payment. But, you know, rating and reviewing us is free, and that is super helpful. So thank you for that. And with all that said, let's do some friendship. Dude wrote this for a friend of his. 
if I say anything, you'll know what it is. But I guess it's. Oh, I didn't realize. I actually didn't know that. Oh, you didn't. Oh, yeah. So his friend died, and uh, he wrote this song about him when he became famous. Um, this song's called My Hero. <laughs> Dwight, 
because we have three other people who usually play guitar, <laughs> and uh, I'm not one of them. And so Dwight did all the music for this show. Uh, so thank you. Because I friends, friends, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so our next speaker uh, asked me to describe her as a big dummy dum dum. Uh, put your hands together for Claire Friedman. That's what I wrote on the sheet. <laughs> My very best friend in the entire world is Caitlin. We have a picture of us first meeting, both in Halloween costumes as babies. I'm sorry, I was in a Halloween costume. She was not. It was not Halloween. My mom thought I looked cute dressed as a lamb, and so just kept having me wear it. (laughs) Caitlin's about six months older than me, and it was very obvious when we were babies, because she was standing, and I was not. (laughs) We've been friends ever since then. We became friends because our parents were friends. Our mothers have been best friends since sixth grade. They lived together in college. Our dads were college roommates. Her parents introduced my parents to each other. Our grandmothers went to nursing school together. But really, it was our parents joining together, and and all of that can be blamed because we are direct descendants, not to brag, but um, Caitlin and I are descendants of the Wild Pooters. (laughs) Please, don't get my autograph. (laughs) I'm sure you all know exactly who that is. It was the house my dad lived in in the University of Iowa uh, in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, They were called the Wild Pooters. That was their intramural sports team. I believed it was named after someone's mother. Um, And by the knowing smiles that they give each other when saying that, I'm pretty sure it's an inappropriate joke. (laughs) That we've never fully been a part of. The Pooters are great. They are Dennis, Dennis, Phil, Dave, Dave, Sheldon, Bill, and Randy. (laughs) Along with, of course, Gene and Suzanne, who famously were sorority presidents. And so uh, Dennis and Dennis decided to rush the sorority one year with full beards. They made it in and met the sorority national president uh, to the mortification of their friends, Gene and Suzanne. Dennis... The first Dennis, Pins, as I'm sure you all know him. Uh, that's my dad. The second Dennis, Devo, Phil, Bert, Dave, D.A., Dave, Hurls, Sheldon, didn't have a nickname, I've never known why. And of course, Jake, whose real name is Bill. <laughs> uh, and Ringsters, that, that was the crew, that was... The group of people, a lot of them moved up to Minnesota, some moved to different parts of the Midwest, but they always made sure they got together for at least one Iowa away game each year. And all of us kids grew up together. My family and all the other kids, and Caitlin, Phil's daughter, was my best friend. Starting in middle school, we went to school together. We spent a lot of time together. We didn't even realize how good of friends we were at first. I think over the years, we realized how well-suited we are for each other. Mostly because we didn't like anyone else. Uh, As adults, we lived together, which was nice because she was dating, uh, conveniently, my other best friend from high school, Alex. And very conveniently for me and my travel arrangements, they got engaged. I was excited because that meant that I could just 
come and sleep on their house, wherever the, sleep on their house, yes. <laughs> sleep on their couch, <laughs> wherever they happen to be living, without making two trips. Caitlin was the first of us to get married. As of right now, I think she's still the only one of us to get married, but let's not count. <laughs> like some mothers. <laughs> Caitlin was the first of us to get married, and of course, all of those family friends were invited. And my dad, I remember growing up, him saying to me about all those people, we're so lucky that we got to pick our family. I love my extended family, but I've never been anywhere near as close to my cousins as I was to all of those kids. And so to get to stand next to Caitlin if she got married to another one of my best friends was one of the most special things that could possibly ever happen to me. Not to mention it was an impeccably planned and perfectly executed wedding that I'm fully planning on copying, pasting shamelessly. <laughs> it was a destination wedding because Caitlin didn't want people to come. <laughs> they had moved to Portland and she flat out refused to plan it anywhere but there and said if people don't want to travel they don't need to come to my wedding it worked great weeded out tons of people <laughs> um, but almost all of the our parents college friends and, and their children were there at one point I looked around the night before the wedding we were all having a fun time in a park playing trivia based on the bride and groom, which I loved and did great at, um, <laughs> and eating from their favorite food truck because it was Portland. And I looked around and I said to my dad, where did Dave and Marcia go? They were noticeably absent, even though they were closer to Caitlin than almost anyone else in that group of people. My dad looked at me. She said, he said, oh, Marcia's dad was having some health problems and they had to fly back. And I looked at my dad a little sideways. And he looked at me and he said, let this one go. And I said, okay. Didn't ask about it again. Didn't think about it. The next day was the wedding. And it was beautiful and wonderful and perfect. And we danced all night and we went and had desserts that were all handmade by the, the groom's younger sister, who's currently a pastry chef in France, not to brag. <laughs> it was the best wedding I've ever been to. The next morning I woke up and I went to go meet my parents for breakfast and they told me to sit down. Um, I was sitting next to my brother and they said, Claire, we need to tell you, someone has died. It's Stephen. Dave and Marcia's oldest son, Stephen, had killed himself because his parents were out of town. So he wasn't being watched. His parents were out of town at my best friend's wedding. I'd like to say that we saw it coming, but we didn't. His parents did more than us. We didn't realize how bad things had gotten, as so often happens with those things. The funeral was the next weekend. We were all there together again. Everybody wearing black, his dad wearing an Iowa tie, because it was his son's favorite school. His coffin was decorated from head to toe with Hawkeye and baseball gear. He loved the Cubs. His slideshow was the same one they had used from his high school graduation. We were all in it. I hugged his mother as she was crying. And I hugged his dad and he held me close. And he whispered into my ear, 
How lucky are we to have this family? How lucky are we to have so many friends? Thank you, Claire. Um, our next speaker is the co-founder of BitBash and the president of Anime Chicago. That's all. We gotta be friends. Uh, Jamie Sanchez. Hello, everyone. Oh, this will be a short one. Um, for years, I've struggled with the boundaries and labels society tells us we need to apply to every person that comes and goes from our lives. It's tiring managing privacy through friends lists, mentally categorizing people as friendly or hostile, and questioning the true intent underlying every exchange. I find it easier to take people at face value. But for those times when I need a litmus test, the Simpsons challenge always comes to call. <laughs> if I can't relate to someone through the Simpsons, perhaps there's a fundamental mismatch in how we communicate. If I say dental plan, I hope with every fire of your being that you impulsively respond with Lisa needs bracelets, because then I know we share some common ground. I was a Martin Prince on the middle school popularity scale, but not nearly as smart. I avoided all the Nelsons and Jimbos I could, but couldn't escape the constant hell of feeling lonely during the school week. I spent summer vacations at my aunt's house in Detroit to gain a new perspective, my cool meter peaked at the summer of 1995, not unlike Lisa's attempt to hide her geeky, shy personality with a tie-dye t-shirt to meet the, meet the beach kids. I had that shirt myself, actually. <laughs> uh, in the end, those beach kids accepted Lisa, but ultimately faded away. Lost to history, not unlike my lost summer friends. Two sisters lived upstairs for me, and we were best friends by default. Uh, like the McElberry twins, Sherry and Terry, they were inseparable. <laughs> and we were all constantly fighting to see who was the best of the best friends. It's hard facing a dynamic like that because at a young age, you instinctively think there's no room for you whether they make some or not. We grew apart once high school started and a new friend came, became my four-year bestie. All the in-jokes, note-passing, cheating on science tests, and laughing at the normies buried the emptiness of grade school in time. But the drama that unfolded when she left Chicago for college hit with the emotional equivalent of the April Fool's beer can prank that sent Homer to the hospital. <laughs> college brought a slew of new friends and new experiences. My new friend was there to navigate the choppy waters of moving on from high school and a long-distance relationship that was doomed like every single one of Selma Bouvier's long, <laughs> very failed, failed marriages. But this friend changed, and I changed too. And then she changed again, and then I followed suit. And we all wound up in this cycle of expecting one to change for the sake of the other. Like many alterations that Marge imposed on her beautiful pink Chanel suit, our friendship fell apart in tatters. Sometimes strangers who I used to call friends reemerge in my life, and often at the most comically timed moments, like old Gil arrives just in time for the punchline. You can't blame Gil, he's lonely and nostalgic hoping for a friendly gesture in return. But these requests, they can come off as self-serving and cloying, and reconnecting can come with baggage, and I'm not ever ready to face the past that I've left behind. <laughs> 
I've been fortunate since college that a handful of those early acquaintances are still around. One friend in particular passes the Simpsons challenge with a perfect 100%. We spent hours after class sitting at restaurants, quoting Simpsons, and laughing our asses off. She understands me as clearly as a crusty burger fish sandwich makes a ball transparent. <laughs> and while I know I'm not a perfect human, I want to work on being a reliable, trustworthy friend, the one that she deserves to have. So when I shout, I am the Lizard Queen, I hope you're not ready to commit me to a psych ward. It's called a saxophone and a trampoline until the day I die. Uh, and if you pass the Simpsons challenge, I have a proposition for you. Let's be friends. <laughs> Yep, right here. I can tell that we are going to be friends. So our next speaker is um, just an amazing human being, uh, such a rad dude. Uh, uh, you can see him at the Flatiron Comedy on Wednesdays and Saturdays. Give a big warm welcome to Mike Gifford. So I, Claire, Claire asked me to come last minute because people went to um, the, what's the concert called? Riot Fest. Riot Fest, and she knew that I would be sitting at home alone watching reruns of Columbo. <laughs> so I'm available. So I show up here and I take a piss and and I'm dripping a little because I got problems, and I <laughs> and I walk out. And there's Kevin Reeder in the light booth, the, the good-looking guy's right there, and he says, nice shirt. Now, that's fucking stupid. Because <laughs> the longer I've sat there and looked at myself, the worse I have gotten. And that's ridiculous. So I'm thinking, what am I going to talk about? And I realize 15, 15 years ago this week, I started college at The Ohio State University. And he brought, okay. And, and I was, and I didn't know anyone. And I lived in a, in a big tower. And I went outside and I sat on the end of this bridge that was out for the tower, the dorm. And I was chain smoking Marlboro Red cigarettes. And word had gone around that there was a, a, a weird, Jewy looking guy outside chain smoking cigarettes. And so this guy, this weird-looking guy comes out, and he's got an impression of, like, a nipple ring. And, and that's weird. I'd never seen a, a nipple ring before. And the guy comes out, and he goes, Hi, I'm Dane, like the dog. And I thought, I don't want to touch you. And he turns out to be one of my very best friends. So we, we touched, and, and that was it. And, um, and he's gay, so then I understood why he had a nipple ring. I'm gay, too, but I still wear this shirt. Um, uh, 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 for the uh, listeners, I, I look like uh, a Bob Evans with AIDS. Um, but that gives you, listeners, a more accurate description of me. So, um, so, so we, we do this 
Dane and I, Dane plays the piano brilliantly. He's wonderful, a wonderful pianist. And we get asked to do a, a talent show. And, and it's like the first time I'm, I'm ever performing in front of people. And I have no business being in front of people now or, or certainly then. And, and I'm in front and I, and it's in front of every single resident advisor at Ohio State. So that's a, a lot of fucking people. There are like, like 500 people in this massive auditorium and all of the, the, uh, 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 resident housing administrators, big shots, right? Big shots there. And so we put together a, 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 a brilliant co comedy piece to do for their entertainment for them. And, and he got drunk and, and laid by a half Irish, half Japanese guy and called me an hour before the show and said he couldn't make it. And I had to do it on my own. Sidebar. Now, I don't know if you've all noticed, but the quality of gay porn has gotten spectacular. <laughs> I mean, really good. And they're really keeping current, too. I don't know how many of you have been watching men.com lately, but it's spectacular. Now, just recently, they've come out with a, a Pokemon parody called Fuck Your Mon Go. <laughs> And it's amazing. <laughs> I swear to God, the acting from it has gotten from the caliber that they're doing on the Disney Channel. It's amazing. <laughs> it's great. And so, of course, you're familiar with Johnny Rapid, and he plays Ash, and, and then they have... Will Braun, who's like a Twinkie Clark Kent looking guy with the, with the glasses, so he looks very smart uh, when he's sucking a cock. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and there, there with, with the Pokeballs, they're throwing them and, and catching quite impressive 8 bit Pokemon at the beginning. It's, and it really draws you into the porn experience. Like, so high quality, not low quality. High, high. <laughs> And so, uh, so they're catching, and then they, they come across a big plush, not animated, but a big plush Pikachu. And they, and they, and they throw the, the Pokeball at the Pikachu and it bounces off and he magically transforms into a muscle hunk in a yellow Speedo <laughs> who then fucks them in the ass. <laughs> and, and I was talking to a friend of mine this week who works in the, the porn business. And I told them, I said, you know, I'm really impressed with all this. And there, there are two things that you guys are nailing when it comes to things that make me calm. Uh, <laughs> one is incredible plot. <laughs> and the second is the sound. I love it. I'm like, I can barely make it to 10. It's incredible. My, fr my, my friend said, you know, with the, with the magic of, 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 of pornography, that that is, um, that's not real. And I, what? What do you mean? What? It's not real. No, it's, it's not real. He said, you know what the sound is? 
I said, come on, what, what, what's that sound? He said, well, they, they stick their hand in, in, in a jar of miracle whip. And in the mirror. Oh my God. So you know what that means, folks. That means that I have orgasm more to sandwich spread than real people. And the sidebar. So my friend fucking ditched me for this big gig in front of hundreds of RA people, and I don't know what I'm doing. And 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 I know nothing. So I go up in front of these these people, they announce my name, the you know, the the, the still closeted faggot Michael Gifford. And I and I walk out on stage and and I do a street joke. Stupid. I do this street joke. I say, um, I change, I personalize it to me because what doesn't make a street joke great than to personalize it to your own real life experience? I don't know. So I say, um, it's a red fox joke that I ripped off. Yes, a red fox joke. It suits me. How stupid. What it was is my, my, I said I had a third grade teacher named Mrs. Douglas and uh, which is real. And we played this game called Beat the Pro, which is real. And what we do is we take a word into context and, and we'd have to put it in a sentence. And then we would try to trick her so that then she couldn't spell the word, right? And if she couldn't accurately spell the word, we'd get a badge. And if we had enough badges at the end of the school year, we'd get a treat and get to go with her in her convertible to McDonald's. Right? Big deal. So we're practicing the game and, and, uh, and the words are, um, uh, definitely. Okay, definitely. Well, the first girl, Lene Skipper, she raced her in. She's like the know-it-all or whatever. You know, she was really into horses, wore a lot of horse shirts, had very long hair, some Christian thing or something. Anyway, <laughs> so she goes, okay, Mrs. Douglas, the sky is definitely blue. Well, no, Lene, the sky is not definitely blue. When storm clouds come in and whatnot, it turns gray and dark. So it is not definitely blue. You're wrong. Sorry. So the next girl, Liz McKinney, and she had buck teeth, and she lived on this house that her mom rented from Dave Ream, and her mom was named Susan, but we called her Suey because, you know, and she'd always yell to her son, Kevin, Kevin, fetch me a Diet Coke. She was real trashy. And so Liz, <laughs> poor Liz, and when she, she raised her and said, okay, Mrs. Douglas, the grass is definitely green. Well, no, Liz, the grass is not definitely green. When, when it's sunny and, and in August and the sun beats down upon it, it, it turns brown and dies. So it is not definitely green. Well, I was, I was good and a nervous kid and I went, um, uh, Mrs. Douglas, I, I have a question first. She said, okay, Michael, what is your question? Well, whenever you pass gas, does it come out kind of chunky? And she said, no. And then I said, well, then I have definitely shit. <laughs> and then I broke into an acapella version of Bette Midler's Friends. <laughs> when I am all alone, there is no one here beside me. And my problems have all gone. There is no one to deride me. <sighs> But you got to have friends. 
The feeling's oh so strong. You've got to have friends to make that day last long. And I fucking bombed. It was silence. It was awful. <laughs> fucking awful. That piece of shit. I hope the half Japanese Irish guy gave you AIDS, you garbage human being. You ruined my life. <laughs> so, um... So we had coffee afterwards, and <laughs> and we're best friends to this day. Now, uh, he is uh, uh, just in uh, last month. He performed at uh, Lincoln Center and is doing quite well with the piano thing. And in fact, the composer Philip Glass uh, uh, said to him he really liked his work, which is pretty spectacular. And. I'm here getting complimented by fucking Kevin Reeder about my stupid shirt. Thank you very much. Actual thing that happened. I was standing right there. It's like, Kevin's just like, I like your shirt. Shut up! Um, our last uh, speaker of the night is um, the uh, co-friend of Friend Shipping. Put your hands together for Trin Garitano. Uh, I had a whole beer, so I'm going to sit. <laughs> Just in case. This is called The Toxic Friend. When Marie texted me to ask me to be a bridesmaid at her wedding, I was tipsy at a Sam Roberts concert and dancing with strangers, and I was elated. She was my best friend from high school, and I hadn't heard from her in years. This was the perfect opportunity to reconnect, to finally have an old friend from high school like normal people do. Oh, this is going to be so normal, I thought. I can't wait. The thing is, Marie was never a good friend to me in the past, and I seem to have forgotten that we lost touch for a reason. In our actual decade of being friends, she never remembered my birthday while she expected gifts and recognition on hers. Uh, one time she convinced me to call the boy I liked and tell him that I had a crush on him and watched me and cried when he said that he liked me too because she expected him to tell me to fuck off and she wanted to see me get rejected. <laughs> one time I borrowed my mom's tape recorder and recorded a conversation between us and had played it for her to show her how mean she was to me and she shrugged. Uh, when I told her I was an atheist, she told me that we could still be friends, but never truly be friends. <laughs> because I would never be able to experience life as fully as she did as a Christian. I don't quite know what that means, but I do know that she was definitely a bit of a dick. <laughs> so yeah, of course I was thrilled to be her bridesmaid. So I was at this concert, drunk, telling strangers I was going to be in a friend's wedding, I was just so jazzed to be invited back into this person's life. I didn't really do weddings, and the idea of single women lining up to catch a bouquet made me want to puke in my mouth and swallow it, but everyone I knew besides me had that old best friend from back in the day. And finally, I felt like I kind of had that too. And honestly, knowing the ultra-religious control freak that I remembered Marie to be, at the very least, this would be entertaining. The abridged version of the wedding prep and the wedding itself was that it was as expensive and annoying as I predicted. I think one might call her a bridezilla. She expected to spend very little money of her own on the wedding and yet asked all the bridesmaids to buy the decorations and other wedding paraphernalia, like the lavender from New York that she wanted us to throw at the end. 
She, she pressured us to buy these $300 two-layered floor-length bridesmaid dresses to wear in her backyard outdoor wedding in late July. It was literally 100 degrees out, and I actually blacked out during the two-hour ceremony during which I was expected to stand the entire time. Uh, I quietly shuffled over to the seat next to my boyfriend at the time as the world before me turned white, and I turned whiter, and he passed me his tiny bottle of water, muttering, Really? After the ceremony, a bridesmaid who had to pay 50 extra dollars on her dress because wedding and uh, because the wedding and fashion industries force larger women to pay an exorbitant tax just to exist, uh, she spent hundreds of dollars on wedding decor. She flat out begged Marie to pick a less expensive dress for us to wear one time because she needed to make her rent and car payments. She sniffled over a wedding card empty of anything but her signature. Marie's going to be so mad at me, she said. I can't afford a gift for her. Maybe if I just don't even give her a card, she'll forget and uh, she won't say anything. How could she be mad at you, I said. You paid for a dress. I mean, you paid extra for a dress you didn't want. You spent all this money and all this time. Marie won't be mad. She won't even notice. I mean, you know Marie. And she looked at me dead in the eye and said, I do know Marie. And that's exactly why I know that she will notice and she will be mad. So the rest of the party was fairly standard. We ate food. I drank heavily out of my boyfriend's flask because it was a dry wedding. <laughs> and it was getting late enough that I figured no one would really notice if I just bailed. I wanted to sneak out, but my boyfriend insisted, because he's polite and nice, that I at least say goodbye to the bride. I did, and she said excitedly, wait here on the dance floor for me just a minute. She goes up to the DJ and says something in his ear, and suddenly, all the single ladies head to the dance floor for the bouquet toss. And like, I'm trapped. I'm the only unwed person in the entire place. Seriously, the groom's married sister and some other married bridesmaid had to come up and join me out of pity after minutes of waiting for someone else. So we lined up, and she tossed the bouquet, and it landed flat on the floor with none of us making a move to get it at all. <laughs> After several awkward seconds of us just staring at the flowers on the ground, I begrudgingly picked it up, and I handed it to the groom's sister, and I bolted out of there. <laughs> it has been six years, and I haven't spoken to Marie since. A few months after the wedding, I realized something. The fact is that not even one time in this entire debacle, not even once, did I ever say no? No, I will not be a bridesmaid. I haven't seen you in years. No, I will not buy this dress. It's literally a car payment. No, I will not buy decorations for your wedding. That is not actually something expected of bridesmaids. And I really don't know what magazine you got that from. Uh. No, I won't do these things because they make me uncomfortable. And I really hope as my friend, you would never want to make me feel that way. Every other bridesmaid in the party knew Marie and they loved her anyway. Every other bridesmaid knew that human beings have faults and we get to choose what we find forgivable. And they found her faults forgivable. I did not. I found them hilariously shitty. But I hung around anyway because I liked the idea of having an old friend. I went to the wedding expecting to mock it, expecting not to participate, and I was honestly there to watch the train wreck happen. I had to admit, I was a toxic friend. Maybe Marie was a toxic friend, sure, but that doesn't really matter because I could never change the way Marie thought and acted. But I could, and I should, 
change me. And I finally figured out why Marie was my oldest and best friend. I was kind of a dick too. Thank you so much, Trish. There are few things in this world more horrid than a dry wedding. <laughs> it's God, my someone suggested that my grandfather's funeral be dry and was laughed out of the room. <laughs> like, we're Irish. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hilarious. Okay. Uh, this is our last song, and then we'll head out for the night. Thanks again so much for coming, everybody. Stories is a proud part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you enjoy your stories, you might also like Alka Hollywood. Clint, Jared, and a guest talk about one movie each week, old or new, good or bad, and create a custom cocktail and drinking game around that movie. For more information, go to alkahollywood.com. This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today, and go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome! Thank you all, thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.